Daniel, hello. Alex, hello. How are you? Okay. It's a weird night. Uh, I feel like we're a bit lighter on the screens today because we, yeah, yeah. only 66% of us are back. I wanted to use that line. <laughs> yeah, no, Adam <laughs> is day to day. Not on the long term IR. But he so took the morning skate, so we we're okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we can't... Um, crew salary cap so he's not on ltr he's just day-to-day for now yeah, um, we're, we're not going to do hockey cards today we're going to wait for, for adam sunday yes so we can do them together we'll the do two packs the, that day i don't maybe, know maybe the more the merrier isn't that what isn't that the saying yeah um we are going to start today's show off with there's been more kyle beach stuff and not that I thought the story was necessarily over. Um, just from my perspective, it was just, it's difficult to read this stuff. And I, and I, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like I'm upset that we have to talk about it. I think we should very much talk about these things. And the first few topics of today's show aren't necessarily the easiest to talk about, but there's been some more developments Um I'm not sure, Daniel, if you saw the Hall of Fame induction, Gary, did, Bettman, yeah. Gary Bettman did speak there. And I want to talk about that for a second just after this. Um, this is from Rick Westhead, obviously. Uh, the quote is, I'm tired of stalling. Hours after NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said the NHL is grateful to Kyle Beach, Beach's lawyer emailed the NHL Commissioner this morning asking him to personally mediate settlement talks between Beach and the Chicago Blackhawks. To be clear, the request made by Beach's lawyer is for Bettman to oversee non-binding mediation. This would not be a situation where the NHL commissioner would have the final word, which is, I think, something we talked about last episode where, or two episodes ago where the NHL wouldn't, do anything for John Doe too, and would leave it to the Blackhawks to deal with. And I was quite vocal. I mean, we were all quite vocal mm-hmm. about that. I feel like, again, it's the same situation and we have an update. This was eight hours ago, again, from Rick Westhead that Bettman won't get involved as a mediator in settlement talks between beach and the Chicago Blackhawks. And the quote is we respectfully decline your request to participate in the mediation. Yeah. It's another thing where we've mentioned looking at the speech, doing all the PR words that he could come up with that. I guess his speech writer could come up with that. They acknowledge that what the situation is, how the case is going, but they will not play an active part in wanting to do anything about it. Just saying like what we said before, like they rinsed their hands of any responsibility you can have in this case. And again, like we've said it, like how many times the last three, four weeks, like I'm not surprised that this is going on. And it is a weird thing to me because what we've said before, it's like, it's a collective thing of the league. It's something that 
it is what you said. It's one of the top markets. It is something that is, you know, pretty widespread. Like a lot of other um, sports leagues are speaking about it. And yet the NHL still is in a way having that stubborn, stubborn approach to it where it's like things are so insular and they just kind of think that, okay, well, we're not going to talk about this. Let Chicago deal with it and let's keep moving forward. But it, it's not the same. It's not as, you know, business as usual. Right. And, and I think it's, to me, it feels like a lack of understanding that the NHL and the Blackhawks are one thing. They're not two separate things where if something happens to the Blackhawks, that it doesn't directly or it will indirectly affect the NHL. While, yes, it is one team, at the end of the day, because of what we know and because of the the issues we've seen in the past with hockey culture, because this became so public and the NHL really, in my opinion, didn't do a great job at number one, handling it when, when it first happened or what the Blackhawks did not handle it well when it first happened and they didn't handle it well this time around either, how you don't understand that these two things are connected. You're so focused on the fact that, you know, we we as the league don't want to take responsibility for this, or we as the league don't want to deal with this kind of like what you were saying there, Daniel, that we're just going to let the only let the Blackhawks deal with it and say, well, all the headlines are going to say the Blackhawks. No, all the headlines are going to say the NHL's Chicago Blackhawks, right? They're combined. Yeah. I, I, two things that uh, come up for me right now is something I remember, and this is still an ongoing um, investigation as well, something that hasn't been mediated between Akeem Alou and the NHL. Um, I remember um, a professor I spoke to when I did my uh, project on hockey culture last year, uh, Professor Stacey Lorenz, um, out west in the University of Alberta, where he said like there was a key thing that he also mentioned here. And it's something that I've mentioned already as like business as usual is when Brad Trevling, uh, the GM of the Calgary Flames, mentioned everything that was going on with Bill Peters and how he like, you know, he was he resigned as coach um, or was fired as coach. And the one key thing he said that in that speech was, you know, let, it's about getting back to hockey now. You know, we could put this in the past and let's get back to hockey. And the second thing I have with that is for the way this case has become as such a high profile case is I think this was the NHL's opportunity. This was the opportunity like other sports have done to kind of show this is what we're going to do collectively as a league. This is to show that we have zero tolerance for abuse like this. And what we're seeing now is, okay, yeah, you you're sidestepping, you're letting the Blackhawks deal with this on their own, but what about all the other cases that are coming up now? What are you going to do to that? Are you just going to, also sidestep that and say, okay, those teams are on their own. And it's, it's like, they're addressing like, no, we don't have a problem, but there is clearly a problem there. Yeah, there is a problem. And you brought up the Akimalu stuff, uh, the, the Akimalu situation and the lack of response from the league and seemingly blatant lies that they're saying in a press conference where Daly and Bettman are saying that this investigation is done and a lose representatives are saying, well, we haven't heard from the league. And you you say this, I agree with you that this was an opportunity for the league to 
to take a stand and truly cement what they want hockey culture to be, not just in the NHL, but as a whole. I actually think their first opportunity in recent memory was the Akima Lou situation. The, the, when Akima Lou went public on Twitter um, about the Bill Peters stuff and, and, and stuff that came out after that, that was their opportunity where they could have dealt with, dealt with it, not dealt with it. They could have fixed, fixed it, Just done things to properly fix the issues that we see. Instead, they take, uh, I don't know, the lawyer approach where kind of shrug, like just shoving this stuff under the rug. And now they're in a situation where not only is it public, but one of their teams are being taken to court. And I know this was a situation that happened 10 years ago, but they didn't do anything in 2019. And they're not doing anything now. Like it, to me, I just, I don't know what they're doing to change, to make a change, not in hockey culture, but hockey as the game. Yeah. Which is something that we've mentioned before also in the summer where it's just another example of the NHL just, you know, for us as fans, as you know, audiences, you want the the sport to grow. And it's obviously not the case when these things happen, when you clearly shows that when their opportunities are given for the league to be more inclusive, it's just, it's like, it's like they're lagging behind from the other leagues. They're lagging behind from what's supposed to be said. Like I, I always talk about, what happened um, during the summer with when um, the whole thing with the Black Lives Matter and with George Floyd and the NHL was the only league to not cancel their game. Like they eventually did it, but it's just, they did it a day after. It felt like the, they really had to, you had to really twist their arm to do anything unless certain people speak up. And by certain people, it's, a matter of, okay, are, is it sponsors or anything along the lines of that affects their profits? They're not going to do anything. Yeah. I have a hot take right now. I want to hear it. And when I think about this, I just think the growth of the game. And I think it's something that there's so much emphasis and maybe it's not just the NHL, but it's just certain things that we see in media when it comes to hockey, like, I just feel like sometimes there's more emphasis on things like hometown hockey where, yeah, great. Like you give other places an opportunity to have NHL teams there, but that's not growing the game. That's the same fan base. That's the same like communities that have, you know, already been sold on hockey. Right. You're trying. Yeah. It's just certain things like that where it's like, Hey, well, we'll try to do these types of, things that you know you you bring it you want to bring in more people like but there's no awareness new awareness there it's i think that there's these situations that especially when they're the most severe like this when there's people affected in negative ways like this that this is when the when hockey could really kind of show that you know we are more progressive we're going to be more transparent and we want this game to grow exactly like the Hometown hockey as an idea is great, but when you have situations like these or it's just, to me, 
I think it deters people, maybe not necessarily from a fan base point of view, but I think it deters people from playing. Mm-hmm. Parents wanting to send their kids out to play hockey. And it's not just a problem. Like this was a problem before 2021, right? There was a whole issue with the concussions. And I believe football also had a similar issue where the head hits were just deterring parents from sending their kids. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily think if I knew that my kid was going to get concussion after concussion and not only that, but not be dealt with properly. I don't know how likely I am to push him to do that Mm -hmm. because that's life-changing damage or yeah. Like uh, right now, you know, none of us have kids, but I'm just saying like hypothetically when we do have children in the future, it's just what I think about as well, where if things are not being talked about, even at their most severe, even at their most high profile, where it's just so prevalent right now in the media, then like it's just the other things too just like would i want to bring my kid in there into a locker room into you know the possibility and as me as not you know a non-caucasian person mm-hmm. like put that kid in that situation right no that's fair and i think it's something that the nhl has to look at and they have to understand that just because it doesn't affect their league they, they, it seems to me they don't understand that they need to grow at this point. They need to grow the game, not the league. I think the league is at a semi sustainable level, at least like, yes, there's plenty of teams who don't make money, but they're at a point where they need to grow the game just the way that multiple other leagues have done the way that soccer leagues have done the way that basketball, the NBA has done. We had, we've talked about that before too, right? They're just kind of, lingering around we need to grow the league it's like no that you're you're missing it you're missing it Mm -hmm. um is there anything else you'd like to add to the kyle beach conversation before we move on just i really hope things get resolved i hope everything's okay it's just i don't know just a lot of things going on right now between the league between the blackhawks and i don't know it's just We've said it before where these are important topics we have to speak about. It's just sometimes it could get overwhelming with the amount of updates are coming up or just the response from the league. Sometimes I just, I don't know. Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you said it perfectly. Um, again, we're going to keep talking about it because I personally, and I think you would agree as well. It's these stories are very important Um and as Rick Westhead, as Katie Strang and others continue to report on it, uh, I think we should keep talking about it. From one organization to another, the Pittsburgh Penguins, not necessarily if you want to comment on it, was just more of an update on the Aaron Scaldi and I forgot his name, sorry, and Clark Donatelli. So this was from Katie Strang that, Ex-AHL coach Clark Donatelli was indicted in Rhode Island on four counts of sexual assault. Uh, This was an update from the last story that we heard, we talked about, which was 
that they had settled. They didn't use the word settled, but they, they came to a resolution is the quote that I had found multiple times. This is just an update on this specific situation. Anything to add, Daniel? Yeah, I think this is going to probably bleed into what we're going to speak about next, but I think this is something that we were looking for, that there were going to be more updates regarding this, because when it just was that one tweet about they reached a resolution, I I really didn't want to leave it there. I wanted to know more of the details. I wanted to really actually see like, okay, what, what's behind this? Yeah. Yeah. No, again, same here. I'm just, I wonder more like, Again, what more is there? Because that investigation did end quite quickly, right? Yeah, it did. That the safe sport investigation on Bill Guerin, I believe it was about five days. And then not even what, a week or two later, uh, they had come to a resolution. And and maybe there is more to come here, but we don't know at this point. Um, but sticking with the Pittsburgh Penguins, there is a bit of news that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, earlier this week, I believe from the Wall Street Journal, uh, saying that the Pittsburgh Penguins could be sold to Fenway Sports Group, who obviously hold, sorry, who obviously own the Boston Red Sox as well as Liverpool Football Club. Um, this kind of came out of nowhere. I saw the sale could be around nine hundred million. Now it's not confirmed, but it's looking likely. And just some things, Mario Lemieux will seemingly stay on as a minority uh, owner. He will be involved, which, like, I would say that's a good thing. Would you also agree with that? I remember Adam before mentioned how uh, the reputation of Mario Lemieux, not not saying the player Mario Lemieux, but I'm talking about the owner Mario Lemieux was a bit tarnished when he still when he tried to do this before where he tried to sell the team and it's just interesting where there was so much uproar when that happened and then this just came out of nowhere just slowly like yeah this is these are the details mario is still going to be a minority stake owner and that's it yeah no i mean as long i think to me he seems not maybe I would say loved in Pittsburgh because he's such a he's up there in terms of the legends of all time in hockey. Mm-hmm. I, and I can't imagine, you know, looking back at the situations that he's had to deal with. The biggest one in recent memory was Evgeny Malkin. Uh, a couple of years or three years ago, I remember there was the potential rift between Malkin and Kessel. And I, I remember the quote go, went along the lines of it's either me or him. I mean, I'm quite sure who they I picked. They did pick Evgeny Malkin. Um, the one thing I was really curious. So there was something that I read about this specific group. And I'm curious your take on what that means for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But they're willing to spend money at the beginning. Now, they did that with Liverpool. They didn't spend it necessarily on big names when they bought the players at the time. But look at what they did with like Liverpool as an example. They won a Premier League. They won the Champions League. They, they're still a consistently good team. I wonder how that affects moving forward for Pittsburgh because we're getting to a point where Latang and Malkin are up at the end of this year. They're not young. Malk, uh, Crosby 
he'll be up in two or three years. He's also not young. We're getting to the back end of this. I call, let's call it a dynasty. Core. Yeah, the core. Yeah. Core, the core. Yeah. I wonder what that means. Of are they going to go through a traditional rebuild, or are they more likely to buy their way into buy their way out of a rebuild? Um. Okay, where they are right now, and it's I forget the specific figures of when they were first sold to Marilyn Mew, but I remember it was minuscule compared to what they are now at 900 million. Yeah, I believe it was about 85 million last Cause, I checked. Yeah, because I remember, in, um, and I only know this from, um, I st- okay, so this is a random thing, but I used to buy a lot of used like books on like just old hockey teams. I'm like, you know, I was never around for a lot of these teams, or I didn't know what was going on when I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember when like, the Penguins were at a point where they had to sell prime Yager for basically nothing. Yeah. And I think they're at a point now where I think their, their rebuild is going to be a retool. It's going to be, we're going to add pieces around Crosby Malkin as much as we can, but I don't think they're going to bank on like, they, they will probably get it, but they're not going to always bank on the first overall pick. They're going to they're gonna try to do something where they've done before. And it's just, you know, maybe we'll just get through free agency. Maybe we'll, we're going to keep adding guys, but I think it's going to be similar to the Rangers. We're not going to, they're probably going to tell the fans that, yeah, we may intend to rebuild, but it's not going to be like <laughs> Arizona <laughs> Coyotes rebuild, or it's not going to be something where, the Edmonton Oilers. I think that they've reached a point where their borderline big market status that, you know, f- there's so many fans that they don't know beyond Sidney Crosby. They don't know past Sidney Crosby. They don't, they don't understand like how this team was before Sidney Crosby, like Marc-Andre Fleury, Evgeny Malkin. Um, yeah. It's, it's just something where it's, where I've mentioned, like, it's not going to be like a Nashville status because Nashville is a much smaller market where they have to stay relatively competitive to keep the fans coming. Um, But I think with Pittsburgh, it's just they were sold to this idea of success already that it's not going to be traditional. Like, they have to spend. The only thing I will say, though, is the the, with the Rangers, they did get the first and second overall. Mm -hmm. Now, they're... Uh, maybe those two players in particular down the line will have a much bigger impact on the team. Obviously at the moment, not, unfortunately not so much like, listen, these guys are what 20, 21 years old, Lafreniere and Kako. There's mm-hmm. plenty, plenty of time for them to develop. Like uh, look at Jack Hughes, right? He, when yeah. he came out, wasn't spectacular. And I think obviously now he's unfortunately injured, but he had such a good start to the season. Anything could really happen. That's the only thing I'd have to say with the comparison you made to yeah. the Rangers. But I think you're exactly right. Like, I don't necessarily think it's going to be like it was the first time around for this core where they drafted Crosby, Malkin, and Flurry all high up there. Mm-hmm. The only Latang was the exception. It was a third round pick. Right. Like they, and the way they filled the core was Gensel. I don't, Gensel was, wasn't a top pick. I he think was a he third was round pick. Round. He was. He was a third round pick. Yeah. 2012, I believe. Okay. I trust you. But he was like an NCAA guy. So, you know, you never know what those guys were. Right. Like they dominate and then they come in. 
they were able to fill the fill around it with draft picks and bringing in guys. But I think this time around, personally, if it goes the way of how they did it with Liverpool, they're going to bring in, they're willing to bring in more guys than drafting them per se. Cause yeah. I don't think they're going to be as patient with uh, saying, okay, going through the rebuild because it could be a longer rebuild, right? There's teams, mm-hmm. some teams too, in particular, they've been going through this for quite some time. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it's going to be like when I mentioned the Rangers, it's going to be that mix of, yeah, we're going to get these top pick guys, but at the same time, you know, we're going to swing for the fences and get an Artemi Panarin or at the time, which look doesn't look as good now, but a Jacob Truba where they're still going to try to, bring in these types of guys to fill in the core or even right now an Adam Fox and like, yeah, like we're going to have the young guys they're going to develop along the way. But again, like we're still going to try to stay competitive. Yeah. Um, anything else on the penguins before we move on? Um, just one thing is I'm pretty like, I know that they're not at the best right now, but I'm still surprised by like their lack of depth, what they've been able to do. Yeah. No, that's right. It's the most Pittsburgh thing ever, though, right? Like they yeah. just bring in, I don't know, I couldn't pin what it is, but just the way their organization has run, they've never had an issue. Same with like Tampa Bay, bring in a guy and that you've developed and he kind of just fits the way that you need him to fit. And it's just, it's really incredible the way that, that that's how it's, that's how, that's how mm-hmm. it's done there. Is Evan Rodriguez a Leafs legend? N- I mean, like, I guess we've had guys, we've named Leaf legends who never played for the Leafs. Like Carter Verhage never technically no. played for Jared the Leafs. McCann. He's, yeah, Jared McCann, Leafs legend. So I guess, sure, he's technically a Leafs legend. <laughs> okay. If you want to name him, you are the director of, of legends. I just remember um, when uh, they lined up against the Leafs. I just yeah. <laughs> remember, like, Casper Kapanen and Evan Rodriguez were on the first line against Toronto. Yeah. Like, yeah that's that weird. was loads of fun. Load that game was loads of fun. Um, I mean, we talked about it. I don't want to get into it. Yeah. Uh one last I will call it negative thing for the podcast. Ottawa had has had their next three games postponed. They have 10 players in COVID protocol. I believe Dreger reported literally a couple hours ago on insider trading that uh, some of them are symptomatic, like they're, they actually have symptoms. So obviously hope they are okay. Um, they've already put the one game is postponed. I think it was New Jersey and they have two more games. I don't want to make it about the Olympics, but there people have, everyone's been talking about this connecting it to the Olympics. I don't necessarily think one team shutting down for three games is going to do it because I think this was a very particular situation where even testing them every day didn't necessarily s- slow the spread. Um, but it it is potentially, I think it should be a wake-up call for the rest of the teams and players who want to go to the Olympics that if this does happen, that it, it is, it can jeopardize their chance of going to the Olympics because the NHL and the IIHF, they're still talking. There's that January 10th deadline, but anytime before that, 
they can, this thing can be cut. So I think it should be a wake up call for those players. Yeah, definitely. And again, like we wish them the best and hope everything's okay with the senators, but it does definitely cause an impact of what things are going to look like internationally and bring in certain players that, you know, we know what team is going to be on a certain team, but Again, like we already knew that there was going to be the risk there, especially when all these guys are coming from different cities, you know, two different countries, whatnot. And I really definitely believe that they they need to kind of clamp on this right now and try to just figure out a plan right now because January 10th is coming close. Yeah, man. It, time is flying. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, time is flying. Like it's November 17th. Yeah. <laughs> it's been I, it feels like we just started, or for me, it feels like I just started the semester. Yeah. My apologies for the pause. Uh, I had oh, my okay. phone ringing. But uh, oh, okay. yeah, basically, uh, yeah, when it comes to time, I don't know. It's just weird that we're thinking about the Olympics right now. And yeah. I still say to certain people when I'm walking around, like when people are like, oh, I think it's going to snow next weekend. And I would tell them, oh, summer is truly over. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Summer is over. I mean, the weather has been so on and off. Inconsistent. Yeah, it's been inconsistent. Um, One thing, so as I was digging about looking up this stuff for the senators, I came across this article uh, from Luke Fox Jukebox. (laughs) I love that. Um, But they were talking about, so obviously the IIHF has a new president, which is Luke Tardif. Um, and there's this proposal going around that they could also introduce uh, three-on-three hockey into the Olympics. Now, this yeah. won't be this won't be anytime soon. Uh, they're they're saying it could happen in 2030. It won't happen in 2026. Like that's an absolute long shot. Now, it would be a little bit different. I'm just looking here. It would be a narrower ice rink. Are they trying to copy basketball right now? Because for FIBA, that's what they just did three on three basketball. But thing is, there's actually some merit to it that apparently in a lot of other countries, three on three basketball is a lot more popular than we think it is in North America. But I don't know. It's just, just kind of like, like, okay, so like hypothetically, what would the players be? Because I know for basketball, it's not really, you know, the NBA players playing in the three-on-three for the Olympics. So what would that be for hockey? There's that. That's really, again, this is so early that I just, I, I wanted to ask you what you thought about it. Because I think it's a, you, you brought up basketball as an example. And I just think we've seen overtime and three-on-three overtime with five minutes is incredible. Now I think the suggestion here is about half an hour or they, uh, yeah, it's going to get gassed. They are, but again, like it's just, it's a cool concept because we know how offensive three on three hockey can be. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure the coaches for these teams, if this were to happen would probably make it a lot more defensive than we'd like. But with these guys becoming so much more skilled. I, I just think that it would be a really cool thing to, to see. And for like a country like Canada and even the United States or Russia, 
where their players with Canada specifically, like there's so many players who won't make the Olympic team who are still so good. Like you kind of sold me on that. Yeah. Like imagine, I don't know. Uh, Nick, we'll use Nick Suzuki as an example. Let's see. Cause he's teetering on, he could make the Olympic team. He might not imagine Nick Suzuki on a three on three hockey team. Like, wouldn't yeah. that be exciting? Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Exactly. See, I, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think it's a really exciting proposition. And if the NHL also sends its players there, that could be really cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm just thinking of this right now. I know that it was a more of a joke in 2016, but I think I just saw a recent post by a blog where they put projected Olympic team for Team North America. And that really like just made me think of three on three where I'm like, you know, it'd be cool if they brought back Team North America for three on three. <laughs> like all was it under 25? That was a threshold. Yeah. And I remember I told you I saw that meme before because it was at the time Taylor Hall, I think, just turned 26. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then um they're like, Taylor Hall, you've been banished from the land of North America. <laughs> I can't believe it's been it's been five, five years, years yeah. since that tournament. It that does not feel tournament. like five years. That's when we that's still had hope for the Olympics. I remember that. Yeah, no, that's true. We, we did. A little bit, a little bit, a, li- a little bit. Yeah, I remember um, low key when I went to the game. I really liked your team Europe's jerseys. They were nice. So I think something they were different. Nice and I actually got to see Marion Gabrick play, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. just retired. We talked about it. Cool. Go yeah. back. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that episode. I think it was last yes, episode. I gush over my childhood love for him. <laughs> like how he was one of my favorite players to never play for the Ducks or the Leafs. <laughs> okay. Today's episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk and with promo code POD, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in P-O-D. That's stamps.com, promo code POD, P-O-D, stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. I think it's time to finally talk about this. We didn't get to it last episode, but I've been dying to talk about this. Okay. John Tortorella comes out with a a bit of a hot take. (laughs) 
telling Connor McDavid to uh, shut up, as he put it. I'm assuming you saw the clip. I did, yeah. So for anyone who's, who has not seen the clip, John Tortorella pretty much says that Connor McDavid should change his game in a way Um not be he he specifically said don't he he doesn't have to become a checker which i thought was hilarious because how many discussions we had about john tortorella trying to turn patrick line into a power forward but whatever because connor mcdavid has now has complained about calls against him or lack of calls against him um i, I just i don't think I don't agree with him. I personally don't agree with him. Like, do you agree with the idea that Connor McDavid should change as a player or become a little more aggressive? I guess. I think that's what he was kind of saying to me. He's saying become more aggressive. I think like not fundamentally change everything, but I think just the way the team is the teams are built now, the way superstars are, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be, like what's an example of like a guy who scores? Like you don't have to be prime Getzlaff or Perry or prime like Shanahan to you know to kind of like show that. I think that like Sidney Crosby, like even though people kind of ripped on him early in his career, like you know he he was an aggressive guy. Like he was aggressive back to certain things, right? Like when teams got in his face, I remember when he was pushing Ovechkin, like them like shoving each other or something like that. I think that you need that certain level of standing up for yourself, but I don't know. Connor McDavid, it's just, you know, you have like Zach Cassian. I know he was injured, but you you have certain guys that play that part for you. You don't have to change how you play. Wayne Gretzky had Marty McSorley and uh, Connor McDavid has Zach Cassian. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At one point he had Zach Cassian and Milan Lucic. Yeah, he did. You're right. You're right. For what, a year or two, a couple of years, he had both of them. I, the thing with John, what John Tortorella says, I, I think you brought up Sidney Crosby. I think Crosby is an interesting example because I think Crosby did change his game in a way. Like last night or a few nights ago, the guy literally threw a player into the boards, by the way, unpenalized and uncalled. I just, I, I just think that might be a little, might be a penalty. Mm-hmm. kind of threw a player like literally oh, looked like he threw the guy um but he did change in a way where he wasn't dealing with any crap he was not dealing with it and i think connor mcdavid did that in a way maybe not the way same way crosby did like i don't remember he's done it a couple times where his elbows a little up there Connor McDavid's elbow had been up there. Yeah, he's he's done that. (laughs) He's retaliated. Like the thing for me is like, did we miss Connor McDavid not complaining for the first five years of his career? It happens. I mean, okay, so he's an example. Like LeBron always complains about it, but we're not asking him to change his game, (laughs) right? Like, and and. For me, I'm not asking for special treatment. I'm really not. I'm I'm asking for the damn rule book to be called. I'm pleading, pleading. And if the rule book isn't good enough, you have off season to change it. 
Like this isn't to me a different. Okay. Here's the thing. I see it as an issue. I think you see it as an issue as well. I say Adam sees it as an issue. I don't think the NHL sees it as an issue. No, I don't think they do. Because if they saw it as an issue, Gary Bettman wouldn't be saying, well, you know, we have the best refs in the league or in the world. Sorry. We have the best refs in the world. You don't. <laughs> like You don't. You don't. You don't have the worst. The worst are CONCACAF. The worst are CONCACAF refs. Uh, but that's a separate story. Uh, just brutal, brutal refereeing. We've seen so many examples of that, you know, like Austin, you know, Austin Matthews, you know, he takes a f- fair share of his own hits as well on things. You know, yeah. things happen to him as well. And again, I'm not saying comparing them, like, you know, he doesn't be careful, like, Daniel, they will come. I know, I know. Be very I know, I know. Careful. I'm not saying the, like, you know, the equal the level kind of thing. Edmonton, but I'm just... The Edmonton mob will come after me. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's been a lot of things on him as well that have been called. For sure. And and I think every there's a lot of things every star player goes through. And in this league in particular, they do not care. They'd rather the star retaliate. Like, think about it like this. For me, and, and I and I think most people, I hate Brad Marchand, but I'd love to have him on my team. Yeah. Brad Marchand can put up points. But he's also not only a pain in the butt to play against, but he's a little bit of a rat. Mm-hmm. Get in your face. He might lick you. He might lick you and get away with it twice. You know, it's funny. I was going to say this, but I'm not going to put him in the same breath as the licking part, but I was going to say Brendan Gallagher is an example yeah, as well. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. I think Adam would agree with that as well. Yeah, he is a yeah. pain in the ass to play against, and he's a little bit of a rat. And, and those are the guys who everybody hates but loves at the same time. And, like, look at Ovechkin. Like, I, I'm sure there was people out there who saw what Crosby did, and me included, who thought it was hilarious because he literally threw a player and didn't get called for it. He didn't get called for it. Like, am I – is it just me who thinks that's ridiculous – like, a little bit ridiculous? Oh, yes. Like, we should not expect the stars of the game. Connor McDavid has had multiple 100-point seasons. He's like, they he just hit 600 points in 425, around there, 424 games. Uh, is that right? Yeah, in 424 games. He hit 600 points in 424 games, but he's the guy who has to change his game. I don't know. I mean, okay, like, I don't know, like, John Turner, like, where he's coming from is, you know, when he talk about, like, he has to change his game. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of Patrick Line right away. I thought of Pierre Luc Dubois, where just remember that back check shift? <laughs> I know, it was not great. Like, that's an example where I was like, okay. You know, maybe that's that's a change. <laughs> you know, not not Connor McDavid. It, yeah, like I don't personally, I don't think John Tortorella is wrong. I just hate the fact that John Tortorella is wrong in this instance because he's right. If Connor McDavid wants to like not be pushed around, I guess I I don't know what what his what Connor McDavid's actual what his problem is. 
But if he doesn't want to get pushed around, he also has to push back. Yeah. And that's stupid. To me, that that if he's getting penalized, then call the damn penalty. Just don't, yeah, there's not slight. You know, I you know Pittsburgh, I mean not Pittsburgh, Edmonton. You know, they always have that option. They always put Zach Cassian back on the first line. Please don't. No, no. I'm I will sit. I'm I right now, it is November. 20th, November 17th, 2021. They will should never put Zach Cassian on that first line again. <laughs> never. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. You know how much I do not like Edmonton? Like how much crap I've talked about Edmonton on this podcast? I want, do not want them to put Zach Cassian because they have better players than that. They have better players than that. I, I just... I. I think that is this idea that Connor McDavid has to change is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just, again, it's just, I understand where he's coming from, but it's not like it's just happening to him. I mean, a lot of star players go through all of this. Yeah. And all those star players have changed. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, John, that's why John Tortorella is technically right. Because all those guys, look at Ovechkin. I don't think Ovechkin's a guy who's going to take crap. I don't think Crosby's no, a guy who's going to take crap. I like list the, list the stars. All the, the stars who are past their prime or towards the end of it will not take crap. Because they know that if they if they take it and they don't retaliate, they're going to take it more. Yeah, and I think, okay, this is one aspect too. I think John Tortorella's emphasis on his own team culture. Mm-hmm. And I recall the 2004 finals with the Lightning and the Flames. And, you know, you, you, you barely ever see fighting in the playoffs ever. Yeah. But he allowed Brad Richards and Vincent LeCavier to fight. I remember Vincent LeCavier had a really, really, you know, violent fight with Jerome McGinley. And I think there's just something he installs in his star players. Like regardless of where you play on the lines, you're still going to be asked to defend yourself. Yeah, no. I'm not saying he shouldn't defend himself. I'm just saying he should they she should get the damn calls. Yeah. Like, yeah. is that re- be honest? Is that too much to ask for? It's not too much to ask for. It's not too much to ask for. Can I read you this quote from, you know, we know him, Tim Peel. Mm-hmm. He's been in the news before for, for Many that thing, for the mic <laughs> situation, being mic'd up and that he was on uh, Kipper and Bourne talking about the hot mic incident. And this is the quote. You hear fans go, quote, just call the rule book. Well, that's not realistic. Let's be honest. What? Yeah, I understand. How? How is that? Can I like why? I'm genuinely curious as to why that's not realistic. Because that doesn't make sense. Then maybe there's something wrong with the rule book. You know, I think it's just, it is outlined there. It's just, 
I, I don't know what it is. Like, is it just refs? Like, they're just, you know, it's relative these to these certain incidents. It's not like they just kind of call it for what it is. Because when Tim Peel said, like, he doesn't call P.K. Subban a dirty player. And P.K. just said, you know, it's just a bad habit he has. But, like, you can tell, like, you, you, like, you know, they slow it down for us. And you see his leg. <laughs> it just comes out, like, the last second. Okay, sure. You know what? I don't know. Maybe like and I feel bad laughing at this because we really hope Sammy Blay is okay. Yes, yeah, of course. Of course. He's out for this season. Yeah, torn ACL. Yeah. Um, but that's ridiculous. Like, it's a bad habit. So that's okay. Like, uh, what's the point? Like, what are you what you're trying to get across with saying, okay, he's not a dirty player, but it's just a bad habit? Then change the bad habit. Like, does Nizam like, Kadri just have a bad habit of getting suspended? He has a bad habit of seeing the red mist way too much. Yeah. That's the bad habit there. Oh, my. The only thing, again, like, I know, like, the bad habit thing we talked about. It's just the one more thing with Kadri, just with the Justin Falk thing where, you know, it wasn't even near the puck. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, yeah, no that, was, <laughs> that was, it was just, it, that was just clearly not, not good. Like, it was bad. It was bad. Yeah. I just, I don't understand why year after year after year, we have to have the conversation that no, like the refs in our eyes aren't doing their job. And I think that's the biggest distinction is that we see it as them not doing their job. Personally, I feel that maybe the rule book is too subjective where each yeah. person sees it in a different light or a group of people see it in one light and another group of refs see it in another light. And then the fans see it in a different light. If that's the case, that doesn't seem good for business. You know, yeah. Not at all. Because the way I see it is like that. That's the part that gets me is just, right. I talk to PK after no, just call it for what it is. Don't talk to the guy and try to rationalize it because it's the same thing where a guy gets penalized and then you know how he gets mad and he tries to talk to the ref. It's like, yeah. oh, it was like this. It's like, no, it's already called. Just call it for what you see. Exactly. Like, it's just, it's mind boggling that year after year after year, we have the same conversation and we're the only ones still complaining. Like the NHL Hasn't really done that. They said, oh, well, you know, we're going to enforce cross checks this year. That lasted maybe a week yeah. into the season. Like it maybe lasted a week. No one's talking about it because like we're just so used to the idea that the NHL says one thing and then kind of pisses it away a week after, which is, again, what happened. So can we deal with this? Like, can we? deal with this just, situation yeah again like it's not difficult just call it for what it is exactly exactly and i think the issue is is that they need to go and look at the rule book because to me that's the issue it's the rule book these things like okay when they talk about like oh it was a bad habit um i think the two things that come up to me is yeah i know that when you talk to a guy about like every game is going to be different, but you still have to call it for what it is. And second, it's like, you know, this is not an 18, 19 year old PK Subban. He, he knows what he was doing. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is a crazy comparison. I'm just going to make it anyways. When 
and I'm not saying this is what I do, but I'm just using it as an example. When I'm driving, if I don't stop, if I do a rolling stop at a stop sign, I, I'm going to get a ticket if a cop sees me. Mm-hmm. He's not going to pull me over and say, oh, it was just a bad habit. And let me go on with my <laughs> damn day. He's going to give me a ticket for a rolling stop. Am yeah. I, like, maybe that's, I don't know how different that is, but I really think it's that simple. It's he's being penalized and, or he's committing a penalty and not being, being penalized, not in PK Subban's case, because he was fined, but in the, in the case of Connor McDavid, how many times he was that series against Winnipeg was atrocious. The amount of times he was penalized and there were minimal calls, minimal calls. That's insane. That's insane. They just, there has to be a level of consistency there. And must I say that uh, in my area, that's actually a big problem with rolling stops. Like there are oh. cops hiding at every side street that yeah. every time I'm driving home or going somewhere, there's always someone getting a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> when someone's speeding on the highway and a cop sees them, they don't not pull them over because they recognize the license plate and say, well, you know, it was just a bad habit. It's just a bad habit, guys. It's just a what bad habit. What are you going to do? This, what are you gonna this do? reminds me of a Simpsons joke where um, I think uh, Homer is speeding. Yeah. And then uh, Chief Wiggum, it's like, let him go, Lou. Someone going that fast doesn't have time for a ticket. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, brutal. Um. Before we get to the last two things, I want to bring up the New York Islanders will be without Ryan Pulak for four to six weeks. That's the one that kind of, because the Islanders are a bit bad right now. And I don't know, Ryan, Ryan Pulak's like, he's like a huge part of that team, right? Like we, we always talk about Adam Pellick and how he's developed into, okay, I'm going to take Dom Lachizan's little joke, little nugget out of this. Okay. But, uh, he has become our generation's Mark Edward Vlasic when it comes to the Team Canada look outlook for things. Yeah, but fair. like Ryan Pulak, I know he took a while to develop, but it's just been just one of those Lou guys that is the main cog in there. And the way the Islanders have really kind of come out this year and really underperformed based on what we saw that we saw them the last two seasons. And you know it's still early, but I think that's just going to be a huge loss for them. I think for a team that relies on everybody, not just in scoring sense, but also in defense and defending, losing a guy like Ryan Pulak, I think is is huge, even though the team is not having a they're not having a great season at the moment. I know we're 13 games in and we're we're making huge judgments because I bet by the end of the season they're like the third spot in the metro i think that's what we all had or uh, somewhere along those lines. yeah we had some there along we there. all had them in making the playoffs we've learned from the last two years to exactly remind them. i think right now what they're suffering from is a lack of scoring which has always been kind of their thing <laughs> it has it has but like i think it's more now like i look at their lineup 
I see Brock Nelson has nine points in 13 games, seven goals, seven goals. Oh, surprising. In 13 games. Uh, Matthew Barzell, who has eight points in 13 games. Personally, I would expect more. Anthony yeah. Beauvillier, seven points in 13 games. I think kind of what you expect. I think, I don't know, that's kind of disappointing for me because, really? okay. you know, he he was finally given a bigger role with Jordan Eberle gone. Mm-hmm. And he was getting those minutes. More. Like he was always a top nine guy, but now they're actually letting him play in the top six consistently. And right. I expected more out of him, especially for the contract they gave him. No, that's totally fair. I just think I don't expect him to be third in scoring per se. Yeah. I think it is my thing. And ba- Josh Bailey, six points in 12 games. Paul Mieri, who they just gave what a three or four year deal. Six points in 13 games. I don't want to rush to conclusions. Just at the moment, they're really struggling. And we're getting to the, I think we're almost getting to the um, American Thanksgiving. And I know Friedman's thing is the teams in the playoffs, in a playoff position by American Thanksgiving are usually going to be there by the end. And I look at the Metro and I see Carolina, Washington, and the New York Rangers as the top three there. And I, I don't necessarily see a team who, who won't be there. Like the one to me would be the Rangers, but I think they've, they've started the season extremely well. Will they keep up a 719 points percentage? Probably not. Neither will the Hurricanes keep up an 850 points percentage. Mm -hmm. But I just think that there's a path ahead for them that is rough, that is difficult. But if there's a team that can deal with it, it's a team led by Lula Morello and Barry Trotz. Yeah, they're going to figure out something. And I always think Matt Barzell as like their lone offensive star that could get things going because I always thought he was going to always be a point per game guy for them. But if the if they if they've shown anything from before, it's going to be one guy we don't expect to get really hot and help them. That is probably maybe Zach Parise. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? Zach Parise has three points in thirteen games. <laughs> as long as he's healthy, I, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if he's going to be that guy for them. Unfortunately, um, moving on from the Islanders. The Vancouver Canucks have been in the headlines for quite some time. They're just bad. They're just, yeah, they're not, they're not looking good. Last week, or last story, last episode, we talked about how uh, Merrick reported that Francesco Aquilini was going to be on the road trip. That was apparently planned, but still, you know, at a time where they're not really performing, it's unfortunate that this is the road trip he was on. They are done the road trip. Can I tell you what happened on this road trip? Okay. So they lost seven to one against the Colorado Avalanche. They lost seven to four against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And then a couple nights ago, they lost five to one against the Anaheim Ducks. And now they're back home. Their three-game road trip, they scored six goals. That's horrible. 
Oh man, like it just like the perfect time for this was Domlish's article he wrote. Yeah. Um, today actually, and we've always talked about their roster. Like, there's no denying that they've drafted pretty well with the top picks, I guess, that they were given. And they were some highlights. Like, here's the one line I loved from that article is it all stems from poor player evaluation, creating an incredible combination of bringing players in, bringing in bringing in the right players at the wrong time. JT Miller and Connor Garland, the wrong players at the right time. Braden Holpe, and my personal favorite, the wrong players at the wrong time. And he includes Jay Beagle, Anton Roussel, Brandon Sutter, Oliver Ekman Larson, Tyler Myers, Erica Branson, Tucker Pullman, and Travis Halmanick. Oh, and um, he also says sometimes there are moves that don't pan out that might have been harder to predict at the time. Who was great for Boston but signed for too long? Louis Erickson. And Nate Schmidt, whose deal was bad but played tough minutes on a contender. Yeah, I think with Nate Schmidt, things just didn't work out. And I mean, go look at the. The Winnipeg Jets right now, I believe they're top of the central. And- it just, I think what Vancouver is, listen, like, you know, they did certain things that they, like to, to get rid of Louis Erickson, like Anton Roussel and be able to sign their, their restricted free agents. It was great. The only thing is it reminds me of doing an assignment and, you know, you, every time you do a school assignment, you know, us as great students, Alex, you yes, and I, Adam and I, course. we always strive for an A+, plus, right? But I feel with Jim Benning, it's just, it's just kind of like, okay, good enough. Let's just, you know, like my enemy means necessary is just get this thing done. Even it affects like other things where he gets rid of the bad contracts, but he still gets Oliver Ekman Larson back. And then he gives up two first round picks. Well, one for one really good first round pick and then a second round pick. Yeah, like it's just I I didn't understand this obsession with OEL. Like I I just he's taken steps back and I think part of that is the Arizona effect, but I think he's also just taken steps back. I I don't I never understood the obsession with OEL. I thought it would yes, it would make them a better team on paper, but that what it like they still, the salary cap exists. I know I complain all the time about how the salary cap constraint like dominates a lot of our conversation. Yeah. But like, that's the reality. The reality is there's so many teams up against the cap. And when they made that deal, if they waited one year, if they waited one year, not only would they not have OEL, but those contracts would be off the books. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it was something where it's like, all right, you know, how about you just preach patience and we'll keep on going? Because I think when they did make the playoffs, I think that just was a subtle sense of lightning in the bottle because a lot of the key contributors are the guys that did leave and they didn't really replace them. And then you come into this season and instead of waiting, he still did some kind of move with the Oliver Ekman Larson thing to say like, okay, yeah, we'll still try to build a contender here. And what the team needs other than the patients is, you know, we want the city to see a winner, but you don't know how to build a winner properly. When I feel like okay, Connor Garland was good. I know that was, that was a solid, that was a solid pickup in that deal, 
but just with Oliver Ekman Larson, he's not the same player. And we said it before, you know, the star players are not exactly like, you know, Elias Pedersen, I don't know what's going on, but he's not performing. And then there's really no depth on this team. Like when we've mentioned last week, Matthew Highmore is one of those guys that you add in into the, into your depth players who you expect to contribute or, you know, Jason Dickinson, then there's a lot of concerns there. It it is for me, it's concerning when the $7 million player in Elias Pedersen has the same amount of points and less goals than Niels Hoglander. And that's, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to push down Elias Pedersen. I think he's a great, great player, but right now he's not performing. That might be a byproduct of the fact that the rest of the team also isn't performing with like the exception of three players, three or four players who are killed. Like they're not killing it. Like the old JT Miller is the only point per game player. Mm-hmm. And I think and, they're sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. It's just the problem I have with that is just, it just, I think it just highlighted so much because of how top heavy they are in terms of production that when one guy is not working, you don't really have anybody to like, you know, next man up in the bottom six to say, okay, well, we're going to kind of compensate for a guy that's not really doing well. And I don't want to make it about the Leafs. I just think it's a, for me, it's a good example to make where it's similar situation with the Leafs, where in terms of offense, it is very top heavy where if you remove the John Tavares or you remove Austin Matthews or whoever, the next man up because the South, sal- there's so much salary cap tied there. Your next guy up is Alex Kerfoot or your next guy up is uh, Ilya McKayev or Michael Bunting. It's just a lot of chances. And to me, at the moment, the way they've been performing, the guys that the Vancouver Canucks have brought in aren't necessarily performing to the standards. They, they're they a little bit of a bust at the moment. I'm not saying by the end of the year they're going to be a bust, but the way they've been playing so far, it just it, it hasn't worked out. And not only is it affecting the bottom six, but it is now affecting the top six. Yeah. And that doesn't even that doesn't even take into consideration the defense does not look great. Other than Quinn Hughes, that defense is is not fantastic. It's like, a very expensive defense, by the way. Yeah, it's not cheap, and I think not having only four games of Travis Hammond after signing him to a two year deal was a through a wrench in in Travis Green and Jim Benning's plans. But still, you I just can't see how you didn't know it was gonna be an issue personally. Like you would know, like, and this isn't, I'm not saying it's Travis Hamannick's fault. I'm saying okay, sign Travis Hamannick, but you also have to come in with some type of plan, knowing that you know what? He did sit out the bubble. Yeah. He he sat out the bubble and there's there's extremely legitimate reasons for him to, to him for him to have concerns. You have to have a backup plan, knowing that you know what, there's a chance that this might become an issue down the line. And I, I don't necessarily think they did that. It is. And I think Dom also said it in his article as well, is 
listen, like Travis Green is doing what he had with what he was given. And the unfortunate thing is that's probably going to be the first move is Green is going to go before Jim Benning. Isn't that like the definition of his tenure in Vancouver? He w- he's, he's just done what he was given. Yeah. We, we, it's been an issue in years past. Like he over in my, in, and I don't know if you'd agree, but I think his run to the second round and taking Vegas to seven games was a bit of an overachievement. It's I think a bit of an anomaly. Yeah. A bit of an anomaly. And I think they, they said, you know what, look at what Travis green did here. And then they kind of made moves pretending like they were a contender. And I think that's where it backfired. I want to shift because you brought them up. I want to shift the conversation to Benning and green, because there's obviously the rumors that they're going to stick with patience and patience is key. And, you know, we're not going to make any irrational moves do you you said he's going that obviously Travis Green is going to be the first domino to go because that's usually what it is. Mm-hmm. Do you expect that to happen now or do you expect that to happen at the end of the year? I don't it's hard for me to grasp in a way what might actually happen because I think things are worse than they were last year because I think last year you still had that idea of, okay, they could probably bounce back and try to make another unexpected run. Mm -hmm. But I think that this year, the expectations are a lot higher because you want to bounce back from that tough season. And, you know, it's a bit further back now that idea of, Hey, you know, we almost beat, we almost, you know, we almost went all the way or we almost had a long run. I think now it's just kind of showing that, all right, you know, we actually did not have it going last year and it's bad. And now this year it's more of, is this really going to continue? Are we really going to go through this again after all the tough things that we've done? Are we potentially going to give up another lottery pick for this team? And because of that, and I'm not saying again, it's not Travis Green's fault, but because of that, a move I could see happening midseason, or I could see happening in 10 games if this pattern continues. I I would have I'd probably agree. Do I think it's the I think Travis Green has made this team look probably better than it is. I I, I think it was a, it, this is all a byproduct of this is what he was given, as you said. I just think there's Man, like I really think a lot of this comes down to the personnel that Travis Green was given, and to me, that lies on Jim Benning. Yeah, and just there's too many shifting things there. Yeah, I I think he's probably the guy to go. He should be the guy to go, and whether that happens now or at the end of the season or at all, I believe like. It's. I want to propose this to you. Adam Wilde brought this up on the SDP. He says that the Vancouver Canucks should fire Jim Benning now and let Jim Rutherford ride out the season. Um, your thing is okay. That's okay. I'm gonna give Adam Wilde respect 
because that's the logical thing that would happen. <laughs> but you you know that's not gonna happen. You know what yes, I mean? That like that's the, the logical, logical thing. thing. Okay. I like my prediction is they're gonna hold out hope until they're mathematically out of the playoffs, like out of playoff contention, and then they're gonna clean house. But the question is, will Jim Benning come out and say that uh, <laughs> that Travis Green is, is his coach and then fire him 10 days later? Because the Ottawa Senators did that too. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that's perfect. Like That is a Jim Benning thing to do. Yeah, no, it's not great. That is probably what's going to happen. I just, I think to place it on Travis Green, I think everyone has to take blame here. Because at the end of the day, the team isn't performing, which I believe is is a responsibility of the coach. And the players who are supposed to perform aren't performing, which is on the players. But at the end of the day, the man or the team that put this together includes Jim Benning, and he runs the show. And it's kind of he hasn't done. There's not a there's not a lot to show. For Jim Benning's tenure in Vancouver, in my opinion, he had the what? He had that run for two rounds. I believe he made the playoffs once before that. Other than that, there's not a lot of success to show for Jim Benning's tenure. Other than, great, he traded for JT Miller. Yeah, like if (laughs) if this is truly the end of uh, Jim Benning's tenure, I'd like to just call it. I, at first, I w- if it wasn't for last season, I would have called it a mixed bag because I remember when he came in and I did not know what he was doing. Like he was trading picks everywhere, even though this team was aging. And then he finally got the young talent and then he still kept throwing money around. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do because you know what I mean? Like we've said it before, but you know, you were almost out of this cap crunch. You were almost out. You just have to do like well, what did you trade for for this season? You're not, you're not competing. You traded for just under ten percent of the cap, going to be tied up to to uh, to Oliver Ekman Larson for years to come. And which is uh, tough. which is tough. And to add on to what else Jim Bending has done, yes, he has also uh, drafted Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. I, I should add that yeah. those were three pretty good things overall that he's done. But the way business usually works is you have to weigh the pros and cons. And in this case, I think the cons heavily outweigh the pros. I'm there's sure one con. Okay. There's one yeah. con that like, you know, it's, I know hindsight's 2020, but it's just one con that I thought I thought of is 2014. He drafted Jared McCann. One pick before David Pasternak, and I know okay, like hindsight's hindsight. twenty. A lot of teams yeah. passed on David Pasternak. Yes, but the one thing that bothered me is Jared McCann was actually developing and a guy that they needed, and then they traded him when he was what twenty one for Erica Branson. Yeah, no, I I don't know what to say to that because that's kind of uh, inexcusable. A little just bit. one example I have. I know that you know the Pasternak, but you never know. But yeah. Don't like, don't forget Jim Benning. If does if he does get fired, I am sure someone will hire him. Yeah, because it's just a rotating door in this league. So I'm sure he will find a job. Um, 
I, I'm. This is not the last you'll hear of the Vancouver Canucks. No, not at I'm all. sure if things get worse, you will most definitely hear us be talking about this. And if they get better, um, we're not going to do Montreal. We're going to wait for Adam because there's quite a bit of stuff we want to talk about. We will get to the Leafs though because they made a few, a few, uh, an interesting decision, and a couple of things happened to some former Leafs. We'll start mm-hmm. with that. Uh, Leo Komarov, Uncle Leo, is headed to the KHL. I believe he was put on waivers a couple of days ago for termination. And, of course, he will be going to St. Petersburg. That's where all the money is. Um, to start, I think Uncle Leo – or Uncle Leo. Leo Komarov's tenure – it's a habit. Leo Komarov's tenure in Toronto was interesting because he was here for the dark days. Like, past – 2013 that that game that that didn't happen i don't know what that happened that day but those were some dark dark days and he also got to experience some good ones too like i think he was one of those guys everybody loved whether you were an ant like was he an analytical darling no but i just think he had the personality that whether you were uh pro analytics or you were eye test like you just love the guy. Yeah. Um, I'm going to miss him. I really did love him in Toronto. I think that when you mentioned those dark days, he was one of those, you know, on a, it's a bit of a stretch, but the key personalities that the Leafs had that I just remember when he was placed on the first line and he made the all-star team. I think that's yes. just one example where like, okay, like that's funny, but you it's know- also a great memory. Noted all-star Leo Komarov. He will always have always have that, that he was an all-star. Mm-hmm. For the Leafs. For the Leafs, forever. He will always have that. Um, we have another guy. This guy, he is retiring, though. Fine, um, not finally. Like He hasn't been in the league. He was a free agent the last two years, I believe. Yeah. Dion Phaneuf. Captain Dion Phaneuf has retired. Mixed feelings. It's weird to me. Um... I remember when he came in, I was so excited. Um, okay, like I, I, I just remember at school, people doubted me. Yes. <laughs> Before my early, uh, my early journalism years, like this was like <laughs> in elementary school, but I just remember people doubted me and they said that I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know the Leafs or I don't watch enough hockey. But when everyone was like, okay, we got Phil Kessel, we got Dion Phaneuf. Yeah. We're contenders, and I, I'm just, I, I don't know, <laughs> kind of thing. And then you called it, you had it. They, all those people, I expect written apologies if they're <laughs> listening because they did not have it. Okay, I watched those games. They did not have it. I was like ten or eleven and twelve years old, but I remember they did not have it. I expect written apologies. You can call them out on the podcast. I oh, it's okay. Apologies. But again, like I don't want to start with that. But I think with Dion Phaneuf, I think that. And this is one thing I've mentioned a lot before. Like, I think he's a great guy. He's a really great guy. Yeah. And he played a ton of hockey. When he was in the World Juniors, he played for the Flames those early years. I think that he just adjusted so well to the type of player he wanted to be. I remember at the draft, he always said that he wanted to model his game after Scott Stevens. And it was there. I think it's just coming to Toronto... I was okay. Like I, I like that he came to Toronto. I thought that was a really good move. They didn't really give up a lot for him, and I think it's just 
you shouldn't have made him captain. You shouldn't have put that amount of scrutiny on him so early. And I think the combination of the fact that he was still trying to rediscover his game in Toronto, that was the main reason why Calgary traded him is there was a bit of a decline in what they were seeing from previous seasons. And I think, I think that the one thing I have about Fanuf is that he was a consistent player, no matter what people said, he was really consistent. It's just when he did make a mistake, it was just really noticeable. Yeah, because he was a captain and because he was a defenseman in Toronto. Yeah. Like, uh, like if you look in recent years, the guy, other than Mitch Marner, unfortunately, the guys who get ragged on the most are defensemen. Hmm. Like before Mitch Marner, it was Cody Cece. Before Cody Cece, it was Jake Gardner. Before Jake Gardner, it was Dion Phaneuf. Like, and I'm sure we can keep going back. I'm just for the sake of not, but I, I just think it was kind of unfortunate. And once he got that, uh, that monster of a contract uh, where I, you know what? It would have ended last year, Yeah. by the way, if it, <laughs> if it had, if it had went its duration and hadn't been bought out, it would have ended last year, which is crazy to think about. Um. You know, it's funny. His time in Toronto really kind of reminds me of how the Canucks are right now. Like you don't, they don't really know what they are. They, they, (laughs) they're giving people all this money, but it's like, what are you really building here? That is a great question. I, yeah, no, I, they weren't, I don't know what they were building. Uh, it was Frederick Gauthier being drafted in 2013. First, but, but, but again, like I know, like I'm just saying all these things like, oh yeah, there was that era for the Leafs, but honestly, Fanuf did what he needed to do. And, you know, I know he also played for other teams, but it's just the way he was in Toronto. I think like that was the highest pedestal he had. And, I think that he came in with these expectations that he just could not fill that he came in when people still had those world junior uh, memories of him, or they still had the idea of, do you remember on um, the double Dion? Like you remember yeah. that? And then it's just, I remember cabbie had the Dion Phaneuf segment on the score, yeah. just all this stuff where it just, he came in, you he came in thinking that you got a number one defenseman. You got, like you got a guy that's going to stabilize everything. And what I like about it, he never complained. You know, he wasn't like when I think like him and John Tavares are kind of very similar. Like John Tavares is a bit more talkative, but I think Dion Phaneuf is just a bit like he, he held the media. He, he dealt with the media really well. We don't know what goes on after, but. I, I don't know. I, I just don't want to be on the side where I say that he was a bad captain and we have to forget that he played on release because I don't, I don't want to be in that boat. No, man. I think he was a, a really good guy. And uh, I think they also reported CJ reported a couple hours ago that he, he would like to be part of the organization uh, moving forward, whether that's right now or in a few years is, that's what it is. He just he would like to be part of the organization, and I wouldn't necessarily hate it either. Like he's a good guy. It's just he he, he played in Toronto, where expectations are always extremely high. He made a lot of money. Like 
look, I think with the with guys in Toronto, if they make a lot of money, and for whatever reason, they get scrutinized uh, beyond belief. You mm-hmm. said the 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 media thing there, not directly media, but he was the captain during Salute Gate, which was a big, huge deal in Toronto. I understand why it's a huge deal in Toronto. At the time, I think I was like 14. So to me, I didn't I didn't really care. Um, I understand why they did it. I also, if I was them, I'd be like, yeah, no, man, like screw you guys. <laughs> like I get you pay to come see me, but like you guys treat me like crap. So like this is a two-way street. Um that's my opinion, but whatever. Yeah. It I just, just I, I he was at an era where and I don't know if I'm wrong with this, but it was an era when people love to hate the Leafs. And I'm not saying it's not like there right they, now, but I'm like, they're at least winning. They know, it is always popular to hate the Leafs. It's always popular, I but I think I promise the, you. I think at the time it was just like that personality thing where it's that, that small inkling you know that you have to stay like this because they're losing. But now I think it's just kind of you love to hate them because they're winning. Yeah. Yeah, there's a clip of um, Sid when he when he was doing Tim and Sid. Uh, it was just after John Tavares joined. They played a um, preseason game in Lucan, Ontario. And John Tavares, I think, had a goal or two, and he looked really good. And the reaction from Leafs fans was ecstatic. Um and you know, planned a parade, and he's like, "Do Leaf fans understand that they're the butt of the like? They're always going to be the butt end of the joke." And I took it so personally because I'm like, "Yeah, man, I know." And then I go on Twitter, and I'm like, "Man, there are people who don't know that, the, that we are the butt of end, end of the joke always. <laughs> like we are always we will always be until they win a cup. Even after they win a cup, hopefully, I think they'll just continuously be be it. And I'm fine with that. I take it." like a champ. Um, but yeah, there, you reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if they win, like the least, like uh, I kind of feel that like when they win a cup, yeah. people are still going to be like, oh, yeah, but you know, you didn't go back to back or you didn't win three in okay. five years. <laughs> That's okay. I'll, I'll survive. I will survive one. Hopefully I live to see a single cup win mm. by this team. Um, so two things with the Leafs before we end the podcast. They made a trade. Yes, they did. <laughs> uh, they traded again for Kyle Clifford. Um, he's back. He's back. But they traded future considerations, which means, uh, I don't know. Do you know much about future considerations? You know, I've actually tried to ask people about what becomes future considerations because I remember a lot of older trades I've read that yeah. they actually end up becoming like a low-level pick. Yeah. Or something, but sometimes I just kind of feel like maybe it's an organizational thing. Like we've we've brought up semi pro so many times. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe they're gonna, they're gonna train yeah. a dishwasher or something, whatever they need. Or I don't know, like yeah, just like something like a photocopier Who or knows? something like that. Uh, you know, we don't know, but exactly. I think I, I I'm a bit you know this is this is when we laugh about like the leaps the button the joke, but like mm-hmm. the over and out. You know when the guy has the head thing going like that and then he's just looking at all the papers yeah i remember steve dangle had an art i had a twitter a tweet about it's like when i uh announced the leafs making a depth move and yeah. this is how i kind of feel about kyle clifford is i think the when he came from la with jack campbell i really liked that move mm-hmm. because i think that there was a need that the leafs uh wanted to get and 
he was just what from what I've heard like a good locker room guy. So that was a positive for me. The second thing is, I don't know, like towards the end when he's becoming a free agent, like it just didn't seem like there was that much interest in wanting to come back. And it just, I think he just comes back to a different team where it's a bit repetitive to have him now because there's Wayne Simmons and there's Nick Ritchie. You're including Nick Ritchie, which does not make me feel good considering the contract, but also Curtis Gabriel and Curtis Gabriel. Yes. With a K Curtis with a K Curtis with a K. I don't want to overanalyze it. Obviously he's starting in the AHL and the Keith quote, uh, Keith had a quote saying, you know, he'll spend some time there because I think he was out with COVID. Um, and, and he'll probably find his way back into the NHL lineup. First off, he makes a million dollars and he was he passed through waivers. So I, I believe that means he can be moved up and down for a certain period of time. He can be completely buryable. So the salary to me is completely irrelevant. Um, I think, again, not I, I don't know really what he offers other than the locker room intangibles. Yes, he can throw a hit. He can beat the crap out of somebody, I guess. It's just other than that, I don't know. You're right. Like I think it's just another guy like Wayne Simmons, another guy like Curtis Gabriel, Um We'll see what comes of it. Like, I'm not going to overreact to this trade and be like, wow, I can't believe they brought back Kyle Clifford. Like, that's like the best move they could have ever made. I think Kyle Dubas should win GM of the year. Like, no, I, I can't. I can't do it because I. it seems so minimal right now. Like, who the hell knows? He's we're probably going to let Twitter win. We're, yeah, we're going <laughs> to let Twitter win. Listen, the, the chances are if he does touch, if he plays with the Leafs, He's probably going to play on the fourth line. And mm-hmm. my guess is if he's going to replace anybody, he's going to replace Wayne Simmons. Yeah. I just don't see what the, the kerfuffle is on both sides. I saw one tweet, someone tweeting, well, you know, I can't believe they brought him back. He never, he didn't even want to be here after he, he came. I'm like, he has a year left. It was future considerations and he might not even play for the Leafs. Why are we so upset about this? You know why? Because it's the whole thing of not being able to win the argument. It's because what I said before, he came in when people were like, yeah, we need toughness. We need the Leafs to get this. And then when the Leafs finally balanced out quite a few things, it's just, it's too much now. Like, oh, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not adapting to uh, the modern each other. He's not going to get a goal for you. I can't, it's so tiring. It's so tiring. <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation again. I don't. I don't. I'm done. I'm done. You know what? The, although, you know what the Leafs need? The Leafs need for the, the, the core to be tough. That's what they need. That I, I, no one's talking about that. Everyone's talking about how they need to be, they need more toughness. But no one's specifically saying that the core four needs to be tough. That needs to be talked about. Honestly, I think Austin Matthews, you know, when he did the whole thing, he's like, what did I do? Uh, bit where he was like just laughing against the Jets. I get no against the uh, oh, the, the Jets, the Canadians, the ben Canadians, Sherrod. Ben Sherrod. It just you know he he Looking knows what to do. That. He takes it in stride. Looking back on that though, I'm I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe because of maybe because of how the series ended, 
and like the effect it had on a good chunk of the fan base. But like, I just, I look back at that. I'm like, man, you couldn't have just done something. Only if they had Kyle Clifford. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. You know what? Yeah. Kyle Clifford's here guys. Like as if Wayne Simmons didn't exist on that team, but whatever, that's fine. Um, they played Nashville last night. They won three, nothing. Can so I just close goals by the way? Like so many calls. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I, I'm going to be honest. I did miss the third period. I was watching the Canada game and I want to bring that up at the end. I want to shut those okay. guys out. They're killing it. Um, they're two points back from first place in the Atlantic. Again, I don't, it's hard for me to make um, claims in November when the real challenge will be in April and May. Or, well, let's make it to May 1st in April. Like mm-hmm. That's when when I'll be like, you know what? This team has changed. Because there's nothing they can do personally in the first re- in the regular season to truly change, to truly tell me that they've changed. They can do th- the first half of the season. They like the, sorry, the first part of the season, they kind of crumbled and then they had to build themselves back up, which is great, but they've done that. How many years, like how many years in a row? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it's all about taking it in stride and looking at it one game at a time. I think the positives I get out of this is for the preview for this game. This is a Nashville team that, I guess is performing a bit better than our expectations. We really thought they were just kind of going to bottom out again or not be consistent as they were, but they, they figured things out a bit. Um, I think Jeff O'Neill spoke about it and his surprise player this year has been Matthew Shane. And I think he hasn't really become that top line center kind of guy where he's like, he's back to being elite, but I think there was some understanding in his game, especially in the off season that improvements had to be made that he didn't want to be a, a, that guy that was washed by the time he's 29, 30 and he has a giant contract. I think he realized that I think it helped with what Nashville was able to do, even when they did shed salary and gave up role-playing guys. But what I said before, like as a small market team, they're holding it together. Yeah. Uh, they are third in the division. Uh, they do the team behind them. St. Louis does have a game in hand, but still they're currently third in the division, 19 points, Matthew Shane, 16 points in 16 games. He has nine goals. They have no. three guys, by the way, who are point per player. Did he get like nine goals last year? <laughs> I know I'm not being. Like, I will double check. I just actually you know I'm thinking. I like, would not. I I'm gonna double check. Okay, guess how many goals he had last year? Twelve. Eleven. Ten. Eight. Seven. No. Fifteen. He had six goals. Oh my and, and god! 30, in thirty-four <laughs> games, he had six goals. Wow. In the in even the year before, he had 13 goals in 66 games. He is four goals away from that, and we haven't even hit the 20 game mark. Wow. Is he back? Question mark. 
I, I don't know, but the last full season we had, like proper full season, he did have 70 points in 73 games. Mm-hmm. Now, he did not look good in 1920. He looked okay, but not $8 million worthy, which was mm-hmm. his first season. I'm not saying he's back, but it's good to see Matthew Shane at least being a point per game for now because making $8 million, I kind of think that's the bare minimum. Yeah. And, you know, this is actually his first good stretch in Nashville. Yes, that is true. Like, that is very, very true. That is his first good stretch with Nashville. Um, I don't have anything else on the Leafs. Do you have anything else on the Leafs? I just liked that the way they played was what we said, the momentum going, that they kept going to the kept going to the net. You know, UC Soros really had to play lights out to keep it at 3-0. And I think the Preds just ran out of depth, that they don't have the depth to keep up with the Leafs, especially when the Leafs are on their game. Yeah. That, you know, this is one of those games where you have everything together and you expect a type of win like this. Exactly. Uh, one last thing. I really wanted to see okay. David Riddick play, but that's okay. I forgot he was on Nashville. That is fine. Um, before, we end the epi- before we end the episode, I want to shout out the Canadians men soccer team uh, who currently sit first in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. There is a very good chance, and I'm knocking on wood, there's a very good chance that they could make the 2022 World Cup, which is going to be in Qatar next winter. That's next huge. Late fall, which would be huge considering, you know, they're hosting it in like five years. Yeah. Um, but man, I, I I was watching it last night. I'm like, I it was just so good to see a Canadian Canadian soccer players play so well. I, I I have to bring this point up. You know Chris. You know Christian Jack, right? Yeah. He was on TSN. He made a point at the end of the game. He goes, you know, a lot of in North America, um, it's all about the individual players. But the way those guys played out there was like a team, and that felt like the most damn hockey thing he could have said. And I'm like, that is the most Canadian thing Christian Jack said about this team is that they play as a team, not as individuals. And that really is right. And they're going to finish the year because their next games aren't until 2022. But they're going to finish the year atop of the of the table for qualifying. And they're going to finish the year with the most goals scored by a country worldwide. They're going to score. They're going to finish. I think that's incredible. Um, I just wanted to shout them out. Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, just great guys. Once I say, you know, we've said it before already. We already know it's a heritage moment, but the celebration into the snow that it's, I loved it. I I love it it as well because it was was that whole, yeah. That, and that whole time before the game, I remember Gene Prince Bay was, with uh Tim McAuliffe and they've mentioned too just you know you're gonna be playing soccer in a really cold stadium what are you gonna do with the snow and you know it just all worked out so well for that story they did they left it there on purpose they left it there on purpose um that is it unless you have something else I didn't see anything on Twitter when I checked oh, we do one more quarter Twitter check and I did not I think we should be able okay. to see anything um, how Jim saved uh, Jim's and how John Krasinski saved Jim and Pam's relationship, but <laughs> that's something unrelated. Will because you're a 
more of a baseball guy than I am. Will Robbie Ray win the Cy Young? He did win the Ray. Oh, he did? Yeah, he won. He won. What? I think Since, so. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, man. okay. Sorry. I did yeah, not. I uh, just I saw them talking about it today. And uh, I did not know the awards happened. I apologize. Yes, so I guess he is. He, won. he is. Okay. Congrats. He's the fourth Silly Cy Young me. Award winner in franchise history. He's the last one since Roy Halladay. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the cool. last Blue Jay to be nominated for the top, I guess, pitching award in the American League was David Price in 2015. Okay. And um, the coincidence there is when Price was nominated and Robbie Ray won, they are both free agents. So, <laughs> Robbie wow. Ray, please come back if yeah, you're listening I was, to this. I, I was going to ask you, that was going to be my follow up question. Will they re sign Robbie Ray? You know, this is not a baseball podcast, but I, I have mixed feelings about it. Okay. That's <laughs> yes. what we'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, thank you for listening to another episode of the 211 podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you share it, obviously. And if you can rate it, please do. I know you can rate it at least on Apple Podcasts. So please do that. Um, and make sure if you haven't already to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. All the links and accounts are in the description down below. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. We the voice will. ed, voice yes. ed, voice ed, uh, your work for CJRU and Adam's, um, Adam's YouTube channel. Yeah. That is everything. We'll Goodbye. see you guys on Sunday with Adam and our hockey cards. Exactly. Goodbye. Bye.